A couple of verses from Psalm 71 at the beginning of the psalm where we read these words, In thee, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In thy righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Incline thine ear to me and save me. Be thou to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Our Father God, we thank you for what you are to us. You are our rock and our fortress. We're so thankful, Lord, that you are faithful. In the midst of the trials and tribulations, the distractions of life, the constant assailing by the evil one, Father, you know our frame and you know our weakness, and yet you're there for us. And Father, as we heard so strongly stated this morning in the service, I pray, Father, that we will be people who obey the Word of God, who realize that it is by walking in obedience to the Word that we have the freedom, that we have the blessing, that we have all that God grants to His people. Father, I just pray that you will guide us in our study of this hour and bring about your perfect will in our hearts as we hear you speak to us. Now minister in the power of your spirit in the service that is uh, taking place. Be with Pastor Troy. Lord, he is pouring out such an immense amount of energy in his preaching. It's going to take your strength to keep him through three services. Just touch him, Lord, and, and empower him uh, for, for that ministry. And we'll thank you for all that you do in Christ's name. Amen. You'll turn to the eighth chapter of Second Samuel. We're going to read the uh, first eight verses of Second Samuel chapter eight. Now after this it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David could, uh, took control of the chief city from the hands of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab and measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to be put to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Then David defeated Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And he went to restore his rule at, as he went to restore his rule at the river. And David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. And when the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 Arameans. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer, and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betah and from Berathai, cities of Hadadezer, David took a very large amount of bronze. We looked at this passage last week. And I, I spent quite a bit of time uh, talking about how what happened here was so unusual in the history of Israel. And it was because of the power of the Spirit of God working in David. Uh, David had been prepared through many years of his life and the struggle being chased by Saul and all of the other issues until he was finally crowned king of united Israel. And by then he had been prepared in heart to trust and obey, to do the will of God and to put God first in his thought and in his plan. 
And as a result, God gave him overwhelming victory. The victories that he won here over these enemy forces, even though the enemy forces here are described as, as Moabites and, and Arameans and Philistines, they really are spiritual forces. David, vis-a-vis these enemies, is very parallel to the life which we live each day. Uh, we don't have a, quote, Philistine army to face, but we have the same enemy to deal with that he had to deal with. And as David had to walk in faith and in the strength of the Holy Spirit, so do we. If we try to go forth without the Spirit of God dwelling in us, it's a waste of time. There is no way that we will find victory. We will find this as the river, because it was the only big river in this whole region. But if you're in Egypt, obviously the river is the Nile. So up to the Euphrates River, David's empire reached. And much of the area in through here was all Aramean territory. The Arameans were uh, the people that we know today as Syrians. Syria and Aram are roughly the same, uh, roughly synonymous terms. We're going to talk about Hamath a little bit this morning. This portion in here and north of the river was another Aramaic kingdom, which we talked about a little bit last time, where Abraham, uh, where Isaac and Jacob both got their wives from Haran, which was up here in the kingdom to the north of the river, but it was an Aramaic kingdom. And then several others are mentioned in the passage here. The Aramaic kingdom of Damascus, of Zobah, of Hamath, of Maacah, and Geshur here are all important kingdoms that most of them David will conquer or or ally himself with. But Hamath, as we'll see, is, is one that is excluded here. Some of the details of David's victories over the Arameans are mentioned in this particular passage. For example, in verse 4, you, you read about uh, enemy soldiers, horses, and chariots being captured and defeated by the armies of David. And in verse 5, you read about uh, 22,000 Aramean soldiers being slain. What you will not read in any of this is the death of any Israelite soldiers. Bill? I wasn't here last Sunday, I'm sorry. What do you mean by Aramean nation or country? The Arameans are the descendants of Aram, and Aram was a descendant of Shem, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the Arameans became the Syrians. So modern Syrians today, many of them actually can. Um, of course, Arabs have become mixed up in the modern Arame- Arameans and modern Syrians. But some of them can actually trace their line back to the Syrians of, of this day. Another descendant of Shem was Arpachshad. And from Arpachshad came the Hebrew line. So the Hebrews and the Arameans were co- distant cousins. And so whenever you see, like, the, the principal city will become, of course, Damascus. Damascus is the capital of modern Syria. Damascus has been the, co- the primary Aramean capital for most of history. And I mentioned last time in class that Damascus is the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. For 4,000 years, it's been inhabited without a break. And no other city that we at least know of at this point, well, we would know of it if it were at this point, no other city has been inhabited without a break for 4,000 years. So anyway, the Arameans lived all the way through this, this, well, all the way over here, not quite to the coast, because the Phoenicians lived along the coast here, but just inland, in, in through here and up here, the Arameans lived. David garrisoned several of the cities, and Damascus is a specific city that is mentioned as being garrisoned, and he received a lot of tribute. You see the terms gold and bronze and silver and so forth mentioned in here. 
uh, tribute that was given to David as a result of his victories here. The key statement in all of those, this, however, is, is found in verse 6, where it says at the end of the verse, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. The Lord helped David wherever he went. That is why he had these victories. Now, we, we can sit back here and say, but, but David, you line people up on the ground and, and you kill two out of every three? Is this what God would have you to do? Well, God was with him wherever he went. It's very difficult for us to look back at, at things like that because we are looking at it from a very pluralistic society. We're looking at it from a society that says everything is okay, you know, everybody is right and nobody is wrong and everything is okay. And the things that are wrong are doing things that are thought of as genocidal. Well, you know, that is kind of an act of genocide. But it's a, can it's, it's a surgeon carving out a cancer. The Moabites have been one of the most evil people in the history of this planet, and particularly were they evil vis-a-vis -vis Israel. And so simply David was doing what God was doing, and God had him do this, just as God many times wiped out nations by divine fiat, you know, by some great tragedy. In this case, God used David to do this. But, but not everybody, of course, suffered that kind of, uh, of treatment. The victories here, but what we read about in this passage are victories that Israel could not even have dreamed of before. You remember when Israel went forth during the days of Eli and they wanted to fight the Philistines, so they took the Ark of the Covenant and they were going to have great victory and they had great disaster in the stead. Why? Because they went forth in their own strength, not in the strength of the Lord. And now they're having victory after victory after victory because the Lord was with David wherever he went. And that was because David was a man after God's own heart. Obedience is the key to success in the Christian life without any other qualifier. Obedience is the key. Let me read a couple of verses from the uh, 89th Psalm that relate to this. Psalm 89, verse, beginning at verse 20. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand will be established, my arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. And my faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. You won't find very many passages in Scripture that laud someone as God lauds David. David is a man who made mistakes, very serious ones. But he was a man whose heart was right before God in the root of his heart. And, and whenever he got his senses back together, you know, when he wasn't wandering around on rooftops looking down on people bathing, you know, and other things like that. He had his heart right with God. And God would have to deal with him 
in those other issues. And, and the Bible is very, very explicit about how God deals with those who walk divergently from what they know to be true and disobey uh, the Word of God. Let's, let's read on in chapter 8, beginning at verse 9, 2 Samuel chapter 8. Now when Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, Toi sent Joram his son to King David to greet him and to bless him, because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toi, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, with the silver and the gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Aram and from Moab, and from the sons of Ammon and the Philistines, and from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, king of Rahab, king of Zobah, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. In order for David to reach the Euphrates River, which you see at the top of the map there, David did not need to penetrate the kingdom of Hamath. Here's Hamath there. To reach the Euphrates, he could go this way. He didn't have to go up this way through that particular region to reach the Euphrates River. However, upon hearing that his arch-rival, Hadadezer of Zobah, had been defeated by David, we have a new person entering the scene, and that's a man by the name of Toi, king of Hamath, another one of the Aramean kingdoms. So the Arameans were not a unified people under single command. The Arameans were divided into about six or seven different kingdoms with names like Naharim, Hamath, Damascus, Zobah, and Maacah, Geshur, and so forth. These were all Aramaic kingdoms. So they were kind of divided uh, as, as a people and often at war with each other. Just like today, you think of the we, we try to think of Islam as a monolithic religion. It is not a monolithic religion. It is a divided religion. There's, of course, the major schism between the Sunni and the Shiite Muslims, but there are further divisions within that. And we also know that Arabs will fight Arabs, in spite of the fact it's forbidden in the Quran. And so, you know, there really is no such thing as a monolithic force out there. there you know, all peoples, all cultures, all empires, all historical figures, uh, nations have been uh, divided and often at odds with themselves. And so what we have here is the king of Hamath having been at war with the king of Zobah. Now the king of Zobah has been defeated by David, and so he sends David a reward. Thank you very much. I'm sending my son down there bearing gifts of silver and gold and of bronze. Now these were gifts of thanks to David for eliminating the enemy that he had been fighting with. But I think also that he may have had an undercurrent uh, intention here that this would be viewed as sort of like voluntary tribute. David, I'm sending you all these wonderful things. You definitely don't want to focus your army on me now, do you? <laughs> and God doesn't. I'm sorry, God. David. David doesn't. David makes no invasion of Hamath. And you'll notice Hamath is not within his empire. Hamath remains outside the, the borders of the Davidic uh, empire. Whether because of the tribute or whether simply because there was no point and no purpose in conquering that particular kingdom. According to verses 11 and 12 of the passage we just read, David collected tribute from virtually all of these conquered peoples, whether they be the Ammonites or the Amalekites or the Moabites, whoever they are, David collects tribute from them. And you'll notice it says he dedicates that tribute to the Lord. 
He dedicates that tribute to the Lord. He was not going to build his personal fortune from tribute that he had gained by victories that the Lord had given him. As I have highlighted before, and when we get there, we'll make a, another point of it. David would not give as a gift to God something that was given to him. It was something that he had to, that, that he had to have possession of that he would give to the Lord as a sacrifice. And this is David's attitude. The key to David's relationship with the Lord is his attitude. And it's really the key for all of us, is our attitude towards the Lord. What is our attitude <coughs> towards the Lord? David was not into self-aggrandizement. David was not into ego building. He wasn't out there to make himself a name and to be viewed as the greatest of all the kings of the world. He was there to serve the Lord. He wanted to build God's kingdom. He saw Israel as the people of God on earth. And therefore, he wanted to secure his people as God's people, build God's kingdom. When he built this empire, he didn't build the empire so that David might look great. He built the empire to secure his people and to bring glory to the name of God, the mighty God who conquers all. His desire was to bring his own people back into a right relationship with God himself. And this, of course, has been the problem that Israel experienced down through all of its history was its relationship with God. The, the relationship between Israel and God waxes hot and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold. You know, the proverbial roller coaster through the pages of the Old Testament, which so often mirrors our lives in, in some ways. And so what we have here in, in David is a man whose attitude has been set by his dedication to serve the Lord, by putting God first in all things, by believing and obeying God's word. And so he becomes a genuine type of good shepherd. We read this passage before in relationship to David, but I'd like to just uh, turn to it again for a moment, 78th Psalm. Very long psalm. At the end of the 78th Psalm, however, we have these, these key words concerning David. He, of course, meaning God, also chose David his servant and took him from the sheep folds, from the care of ewes with suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with skillful hands. God took a shepherd out of the sheepfold and made him shepherd of his people Israel. And this, of course, in this he becomes a type of Jesus, a type of Messiah, because Jesus himself talks about being the good shepherd, and, and, and the Gospel of John makes such a, a, a strong point of this, of shepherding his, his people. You and I are sheep, and he is the good shepherd. And David was the, the, the type of Messiah as king over Israel in shepherding his people. The, the, the well-being of his people was more important than his own personal fame and fortune which is almost exactly the reverse of most of the kings and emperors of history. The vast majority of the kings and emperors of history basically say, damn the people, just give me everything I can get for myself, you know. 
it, it's sort of the let them eat cake mentality that was supposedly attributed to Marie Antoinette, which probably never was said by her because even though she wasn't too smart, she wasn't that dumb. <laughs> David was, was concerned about his people. Later kings of Israel will not be very concerned about their people. Now, in addition to Aram and Moab, and of course the Philistines, which we've already read about in the uh, eighth chapter as, as peoples who were defeated by David, David received tribute also from Ammon and Amalek. These are longtime rivals of Israel that were finally brought under Israelite control. The Amalekites lived down in this generic region here. They were nomadic people. You see the name right there. But, but they weren't located in a specific place. They were constantly on the move. As I said, they were nomadic, and, and so they were scattered all through this southern region down here. The Ammonites were more sedentary, and they built big cities, particularly Rabbah Ammon, which is today Ammon, Jordan, the capital of the country here, and, and the Ammonites lived all along here, right on the edge of the desert. This is, as you see, the Syrian desert out here or the Aramean Desert, if you like, out here. And so they're right on the very edge, right on the fringe here. The, the air masses that come out of the Mediterranean here rise over the, the initial range of mountains here, the, uh, the um, Judean highlands and the Ephraim highlands up in here. And you have some initial snowfall and rain. And then, of course, you have the, 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 um, the Graben, the uh, valley of the Jordan River here which creates a bit of a rain shadow, or I should say these mountains create a rain shadow, so as the air masses drop, they, go, they experience adiabatic uh, heating, and as a result, you, you have less rainfall in the valley. But then they're forced to rise again up into the even higher highlands over here. The, these highlands are about 1,000 feet or so higher than these over here. And so you have some more rainfall, then of course it tapers off as, as the air masses drop out into the desert. So you get most rainfall here, less rainfall here, but rainfall. And out about where this red line is, you get out in there and it's, you know, it's dry. So the, um, the Ammonites lived out there. Now Amalek was the grandson of Esau. So obviously Amalek was closely related to Israel. But his descendants, who are known as the Amalekites, were treacherous people. And we read about them before. They attacked when the Israelites were trying to come up on, in the Exodus. They were coming up through this region down here. They were picking off the stragglers, and, and they were doing very evil things. And so God condemned them to destruction. And so the land will be absorbed down here, and, and part of it where they roamed wasn't absorbed, but they were wiped out. The Amalekites were eventually wiped out. You do not find them mentioned again in Scripture. After David's reign, you don't see any more about the Amalekites. They just disappear. Whew. Because God had condemned them to destruction. Now, that is not true of the Ammonites. The Ammonites, if you, try, if you pick up your concordance and, and trace it through, you discover the Ammonites are still showing up even in the minor prophets. You know, long after the exile and the return from the exile, you still got Ammonites being mentioned. The Ammonites were, of course, in the sense of Ben-Ami. Ben-Ami was the son of Lot by Lot's younger daughter. And uh, so, you know, out of that rather inauspicious beginning came this, uh, this people. But what they will do is remain tributary to Israel. Now, all of, of all of Israel's neighbors, now David has subdued the Philistines even though he doesn't 
actually occupy and, and garrison the cities, even though he did capture the chief city, which was Gath. Uh, he apparently did later remove troops from there and allowed the Philistines to continue to have autonomy, at least autonomy. When you're surrounded by a powerful empire on all sides, and this is all the land you possess, you, you don't have a great deal of independence. All of the other peoples are conquered, except these people right along the coast here, the Phoenicians. Phoenicians were never conquered by Israel. Uh, the Phoenicians, uh, Israel never even makes an attempt to conquer the Phoenicians. They're the only immediate neighbors not to be subdued by David. Hiram, king of Tyre. As I mentioned before, the uh, Phoenicians lived in several major centers. Ugarit up here, Arvad here, Giba here, Berutus, uh, you know, we've heard of Beirut, haven't we? <coughs> Sidon and Tyre and Akko. Akko will eventually be absorbed into the Israelite area, but Tyre, Sidon, all these, these are major cities. The Phoenicians were largely not a unified people. They were also kind of small kingdoms all along, scattered along the coast here. Hiram, king of Tyre here, who seemed at this time to be the dominant king within the realm of Phoenicia, had formed a friendship with David and an alliance had been created. And God will use that alliance to supply David with the manpower, the, the expertise, with the wood from the the cedars of Lebanon, to build his great palace and later to supply Solomon with the craftsmen, the stone uh, masons and, and so forth that will help build the temple of the living God. Unfortunately, Phoenicia will also provide one of the great antagonists of Hebrew history. That, of course, is Jezebel. And we will eventually get to Jezebel, Lord willing, as we see in verse 13, David's goal had been to exalt the Lord and to do His will. But in the process, David made a name for himself as well. Not intentionally, it was an unintentional byproduct. It's natural, of course. And this, I mean, if you go back to the words that the Lord spoke to Eli when he was high priest long before uh, in the days when Samuel was first coming along, uh, the Lord said to Eli, He who honors me, I will honor. He who honors me, God speaking here, I will honor. David honors God, God honors David. And David is made into a king of great renown. The name of David was known throughout the Medi Eastern Mediterranean world. I would say that if there actually, someone could actually find or if there actually survived uh, correspondence from that day, you would find David's name mentioned as far away as the Persian Gulf, you know, all the way down into Egypt. Unfortunately, correspondence tends to, su to survive in very spotty ways and, you know, when correspondence is written on, on little clay tablets or on papyrus, all of which is very subject to deterioration and uh, war and, and, and sometimes intentional burning of libraries. Burn the library down because it represents the glory of this people and, and destroy all that could have been such wonderful heritage for others. But David's name, I, I would say, would, would be discovered there even though it's only been recently that somebody actually found in, in an archaeological site the name David to actually validate the fact that David could be proven to have existed other than in the Bible. 
Next, we discover that David turns south. Now, when I say David, David is given credit for what goes on here, whether he personally is accompanying the army or not. David wasn't always with the army. Joab was the commander-in-chief. He was the one leading the army. At some times, as we're going to see in this particular instance, his brother was actually commanding one of the armies, uh, Joab's brother, Abishai. And, and, and so David is given credit because he's the king and he's the one who is, who is motivating and directing the forces, but he all, wasn't always physically with the forces. Unfortunately, one time when they were fighting the Ammonites, he wasn't, and, and we'll get to that later. But uh, his forces turned south, and the scripture says that in the Valley of Salt, a battle was fought, and 18,000 Edomites were killed. Now, unfortunately, the uh, Second Samuel says uh, Arameans, but uh, in First Chronicles, we're told it's Edomites, and Edomites are in the Valley of the Salt, which is at the southern end of the Dead Sea anyway. So that's just a, a typo <laughs> there, I guess you could say. And, and First Chronicle gives us the details that it was Abishai who actually commanded the victorious Israelite troops in the victory over the Edomites. And so what we're dealing with here is another ancient rivalry, the ancient rivalry between Jacob and Esau. Esau, of course, was the man who established the, the Edomite kingdom. And the Edomites had been enemies of Israel for a very long time. Israel's greatest enemies tended to be their closest relatives. You know, the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites and, and the Amalekites and the Ishmaelites and the Midianites and all the other ites were, were closely related. And, and they were, you know, it was sort of like the Hatfields and the McCoys, you know, kind of deal here. And so this, this ancient rivalry would be kind of brought to a head here. You, you may remember, uh, you probably won't unless you've read it recently yourself, in Genesis 25, verse 23, because it's been, what, eight years since we've been in Genesis? I don't know what it was. But anyway, in Genesis 25, 23, the Lord speaking to Rebekah says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body. The one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. But that hadn't happened yet. The elder had not served the younger yet. In fact, you remember when Jacob came into the land, he was biting his nails and worrying himself to death about having to come up and face Esau, his brother. And, and now it is that the Edomites are subdued by the Israelites. The descendants of Jacob subdue the descendants of Esau here. And what is interesting is that this sort of becomes emphasized if you look at the 60th Psalm. In Psalm 60, as you know, um, Psalms often have headers. They have kind of like titles, the beginning of them. And in, in Psalm 60, it says, it, it talks about when he struggled, talking about David here, when he struggled with Aram Naharim and with Aram Zobah, and Joab returned and smote 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. And then we go down and read at verse 7 of Psalm 60. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head and Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. Shout aloud, O Philistia, because of me. Who will bring me into the besieged city? Who will lead me to Edom? Hast 
not thou thyself, O God, rejected us? And wilt thou not go forth with our armies, O God? O give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is vain. Through God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our adversaries. And so we find that Gilead and Manasseh and Ephraim, of course, which are all Israelite territories, but, and Judah, but Moab and Edom and Philistia are also mentioned here as being crushed by God through Israel. And David, of course, is the uh, subject of this particular psalm. And so what we have is Edom, which is located down here, along with Moab and, A and, and Ammon, and all of the Aramean territories up here, as well as Philistia on the coast and the land of the Amalekites over here, all of this territory is conquered and subdued by David. It becomes the Davidic Solomonic kingdom. Solomon, through most of his reign, will maintain this same empire. Towards the end of his reign, it will begin to disintegrate because Solomon has disobeyed the word of God and Solomon has chosen to chase after, to, to try to become eclectic and, and to add other gods to his worship of the true and the living God because his wives were subverting him as the scripture said they would if he were to take multiple wives. And, and he did that very thing and as a result, a tragedy comes. And, and, and with the death of Solomon, of course, the empire is, ceases to exist because the kingdom is divided. And ten of the tribes will go with, with Jeroboam up here in the north, who is uh, not related to the uh, family of David. And the tribe of Judah, which will also subsume Simeon down here, will um, stay with the house of David under Rehoboam. And that will be the divided kingdom. And this all disappears because the control, the power of a divided kingdom is not the power of a united kingdom. You know, united we stand, divided we fall. And as a result, first, of course, they will lose control up here, then they will lose control up in here, and then they'll lose the control over here. They end up just being little, little, two little kingdoms over here again, losing most of this territory. That will be the ultimate fate. And then, of course, both the kingdoms themselves will be overwhelmed, first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians, and for a period of time there will be no Israel at all until they come back from the exile and reestablish Jerusalem and Judah and uh, there will be no northern kingdom ever again until the modern age when that territory will, is then uh, again brought under Jewish rule. Well, next time we meet, we'll pick up with the 15th verse of the 8th chapter.